Welcome to the show, friends. Greg Kokel here, your host, and uh, this is a, uh, a special show because I'm not here. <laughs> I'm somewhere else. Um, so today, instead of taking live calls, as I normally would, uh, I'll be taking open mic callers. And um, many of you know about this. It's a new concept we've developed recently, and that is instead of calling in and waiting on hold and hoping to get to me eventually, um, you can go to our website and uh, get to the broadcast page. And right there, there's a feature that will allow you just to press the button and start talking and offer your question in a, uh, you know, a, a, a brief amount of time and tra- practice word economy. And uh, then we will be able to, Amy will put you in the queue basically with questions. And then when I have shows where like this one, where I need to do in advance or even on regular shows, we can take calls from you who are um, uh, leaving your messages on the open mic and uh, answer your questions in that fashion. We think that'll be good for everybody. And so um, that's what we're going to do today. Incidentally, today is the very last chance to be one of the 100. Every August, we have a special uh, what project, plan, program, where we encourage people to join our cadre of, um, of strategic partners. And these are, this is a very important group of people at Standard Reason that um, commit to send in a, a fixed amount every month as a regular deal. It's what stabilizes, stabilizes our uh, budget and in it, uh, obviously helps us to do a great job, continue to do the great job we've been able to do, thank God, uh, for years, equipping other ambassadors for Christ and answering the challenges that we are facing in our culture. Okay, so um, the information is uh, on our website. You can go to https colon forward slash forward slash, forget about all that stuff. Nobody does that anymore. str.org forward slash Outposts. I'm sorry. No, I got the, I'm looking at the wrong one. str.org forward slash partner. Actually, it says donate.str.org forward slash partner. <laughs> we always try to make it easy for you to give us money. And I just made it really hard by giving you that complicated website. Um, but if you uh, sign up for $25 a month, that's your pledge as our strategic partner. There's going to be some perks that you get. I don't actually have it all right here in front of me. Uh, but standard, you get discount on our bookstore. All strategic partners get that. But uh, I think what we're going to send you is a video, as a clip for our video um, representation of uh, the, um, the, the uh, reality for, 20, for last year, 2021-22. Okay, and uh, that was uh, from Chaos to Clarity, the fabulous sessions, and you'll be able to get that. We'll give you a link, and you'll be able to enjoy it on your computer for signing up. There's some other things going on. You can get a T-shirt uh, from Chaos to Clarity, whatever. But the best thing you're going to do is not what we're going to give you there. That's just an incentive. It's what you're doing for us to help us stay on board to keep us going, all right? We're shooting for 100, 100 new strategic partners for the month of August. That's why we encourage you to be one of the 100. And again, that that website address is donate.str.org 
forward slash partner and all the information is on there by the way uh this is a special show open mic callers that i'll be taking but um on uh, on thursday uh you're going to get uh kind of a cooperative effort with elisa childers i did a show for her when i was on c oh it's friday okay friday not thursday i wrote down thursday friday well you know when you get this thing wednesday and friday Right? Okay. So the next one you get after this one, which I've just been told is Friday, will be Elisa Childers and I talking together in kind of a freewheeling fashion. And uh, we are both at CIA, Cross-Examine Instructor Academy with Frank Turek uh, in uh, late July. And so since we're all together, we did a lot of podcasts back and forth with each other. Um, and I did one with Elisa. It was so much fun that uh, I asked Elisa if we could borrow it and play it while I'm gone some week. And she said, that's fine. So I already aired on her podcast, elisachilders.org.com. Okay. And that's A-L-I-S-A, like A-Lisa or A-Lisa. Childers, C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S dot com. And um, it's also on YouTube, so you can see that there. But uh, the, the we're going to be playing that uh, on this, the next broadcast, <laughs> which is Friday. Okay, so just bringing you up to date on things that are happening here. Um, let's go to our first open mic caller, and this is going to be, um, let's just see my list here let's go to um let's go to amanda and uh she's got a question i have never been asked before hi greg and amy my name is amanda and this feels so silly to ask you i recently stayed in a haunted hotel in san francisco called the palace hotel and it really freaked me out and i have a lot of faith and I know, um, that there are darks, you know, forces. And then there are obviously forces that are of God. I don't believe that these are good forces and anything to even focus on or worry about, um, as a Christian, but, uh, is there anything to be fearful of when you are staying in a place that has proclaimed to have had paranormal activity? Mm-hmm. Uh, and any other advice to kind of ease my mind as I travel often for work mm-hmm. and I'm afraid I'll start having restless nights from here on out. <laughs> um, any encouragement you have for me to feel comfortable and safe, I would highly appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Well, that's a great question, Amanda. I I um I have never gotten that question before, and we actually had a little powwow around the office here trying to get different points of view. One point of view was if they're advertising it as a haunted hotel, it's probably not haunted. Uh, It's just a marketing trick. Now, uh, I don't know. That's not my view. That was just some screwy view one of the other persons offered. But um, what's unclear to me, though, is whether or not you had experiences, paranormal experiences, when you were there. By the way, I don't believe in haunting in the sense that people come back from the dead and float around and harass the living. Um, however, I do believe in paranormal activity that because 
part of the Christian worldview is entails the reality of the supernatural. And the supernatural is a supernatural element of reality. And there are personages there. God is one of them. <laughs> and so are you and I, in one sense, given that we are uh, we, we are comprised of a of a rational soul that itself is not material, but is unified in a deep way with our material body, and so um, so we are supernatural. We are paranormal in that regard. Now, of course, when the phrase paranormal activity is used, it's generally used, or even haunting, it's used to describe um, personages, spirit beings that um, um, harass the occupants, presumably harass the op- occupants. And uh, this is could be appealing to some people. Yes, they want to see that. And I think there is a hunger for, let me just call it the supranatural, the above the natural, because we are um, insold human beings, and I think intuitively we know that there's more to the world than just, you know, turtles all the way down, so to speak, or I put it, meat all the way down. It's it's not just the physical world, molecules clashing in the universe. There's something more going on here. And even those who are materialists, um, because they're atheists and this is part of the package of, an athe- of atheism, generally speaking, um, there still is this you know, I think residual fascination or curiosity or wondering what if. And so when this kind of thing is advertised at a hotel, um, I think it appeals to that interest. And if people go there with that in mind, I wouldn't be surprised if they experience something that they attribute to uh, a paranormal presence of some sort. And so it's it's easy to um, interpret innocuous things as, as something else if your mind has already been queued up for that. Let's just say, though, put the, ho- the hotel marketing aside and all of that, and why people might uh, find this appealing, and go directly to the heart of the question, if a Christian is staying in a hotel that manifests paranormal activity, in particular uh, haunting, which normally means the presence or manifestations of uh, immaterial persons of some sort. Now, I mentioned I don't think these are dead people come alive. I think that that thing, that manifestation can happen, but it would be demonic. Uh, that probably isn't going to give any comfort to a Christian thinking about the circumstance. I'm just op- I'm just trying to parse out the possibilities here. Okay. Now the general consensus is that no demonic spirit apparition, we might call it, is going to cause any harm, any genuine harm, uh, to a Christian. Greater is He who is in you than he was in the world. Now, that doesn't mean if there is some manifestation it might that it wouldn't scare the daylights out of you. And I've actually had a, not any personal encounters, but I've had dreams about encounters. And the dreams were a bit horrific. 
Now, the nature of the dream is I'm encountering an apparition, a spiritual being, a presence of some sort, and I'm 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 opposing that thing in the Lord. But sometimes in the dream, it's an ugly experience, and I don't feel good. So if you uh, if a person is thinking about going to a hotel and they find out that it claims to be haunted or it has a reputation for having uh, manifestations or apparitions, it may it may be having those things. And frankly, I wouldn't want to go there, not because I. I'm afraid I might be harmed, but um, it it would be there could be an apparition, which is really would be really discomforting <laughs> to have happen. I mean, it's easy to talk about it now in the afternoon with all the lights on when you're in the middle of the night in a room by yourself and it's dark, and then something real happens that can really be scary, even as a Christian. And you can call on the blood and appeal to the Lord, and all that's going to be good, but it's going to make take away the, the kind of the fright factor in the experience in the moment. Um, so that's why I would avoid that. Now, I, I will tell you that there was a place that I stayed at a retreat. It was a place we rented in the mountains with a number of other people in a discipleship group. And when we got there, there was a lot of creepy stuff there crystals and new agey stuff and whatever. I'm not sure how much I, I believe in the in the um, the effectiveness of this. It's even necessary, but I'll tell you what we did. We went through every room and we prayed over every room. And we I think we, you know, prayed prayers of binding or whatever. And then we felt completely comfortable. Now again, I'm not sure about the efficacy of that or even if it was necessary, but just in case, that's what we did. I mean, doesn't hurt anything, and it might have helped, but it certainly helped us feel better, all right? And we had no strange occurrences uh, in that place, and maybe we wouldn't have if we hadn't prayed. I don't know, but uh, the fact that uh, we prayed, I think, made us feel better, and especially if I'm alone somewhere, I'm not going to want to have an encounter. So I'm going to avoid the circumstances that could scare me, even if they couldn't hurt me. Now, if someone, and it sounds, Amanda, like in your situation, you have stayed at this place that has made this kind of claim, and you're concerned about a long-term impact of it, I don't think you have to worry about that. I don't think if you're there at the hotel that somehow a familiar spirit is going to see you and follow you around to the next hotel and harass you. I, I don't have any reason to think that that's the case. And uh, I don't know, though, if you had an experience there. And if you didn't have an experience there, there's no reason that you'd have experiences elsewhere. So hopefully I can disabuse you of that fear. I don't think that you can be harmed. Uh, I think that. Uh, an engagement could, an encounter could be scary, um, you know, and so I try to avoid it if I could, um, but I don't think you have to worry about having this kind of concern in hotels that you go to. I've never been to a haunted hotel or even one that claimed to be. I had dinner in a 
haunted restaurant once, or this is allegedly the case, is in Milwaukee, and there was a whole bunch of us from a conference there. A lot of the leadership it was a theological conference, and so there's a bunch of professional theologian, apologist, um, uh, philosopher types. There's probably eight of us at the table, and and uh, I'm looking. I didn't see any ghosts, you know, so uh, nothing unusual happened. So I, I think you're there's you're. I want to put to rest your concerns, Amanda. I don't think you have anything to be concerned about. And uh, whenever you feel concerned, what I would do is I would take it to the Lord, pray to the Lord, ask for His protection. And by the way, that's in the Lord's prayer. It says, "Lead us not into temptation." protect us from being in the circumstances where we could be be enticed to evil, and protect us, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, is the literal Greek. It could be the evil one, evil circumstances, or evil. Uh, I count them all. I say them all. Lord, deliver me from evil, from the evil one, and evil circumstances cover all the bases. And I think that's principally the way that we are to address demonic presences, for the lack of a better word, or demonic reality. Father, you protect us from them. And then I go to sleep. Just leave it at that. And I haven't any trouble using that pattern, but I haven't had any visitations either. Hope that helps, Amanda. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with more of your questions on Stand to Reason. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Will you be one of the 100? We are seeking 100 new strategic partners by August 31st. Strategic partners are friends who pledge to support STR with an automatic monthly gift. And this month only, when you sign up with a monthly automatic gift of $25 or more, We'll send you the video download of the last reality conference, as well as a reality t-shirt. Your faithful support equips believers around the world through free resources like our podcasts and training videos, articles, STR University, and so much more. Plus, you'll get some benefits too, like access to a private Facebook group and a 10% discount in the store. So be one of the 100 today. Become a strategic partner by visiting str.org partner. All right, Greg Kogel here, giving you a piece of my mind. 
Uh, that's my goal, at least, when I show up for the show. And uh, normally that means live on Tuesdays from 4 until 6 p.m. And um, right now I'm in Wisconsin, so this is a special show, and we're doing our open mic callers. Just want to let you know, though, in terms of the schedule, I will be speaking in Waco, Texas at, uh, at Baylor University, the Oso Logos Christian group there on um, the uh, on Thursday. Do we figure this out September eighth or ninth? Did it? Well, it is on Thursday. It's Thursday and eighth. The eighth. Yes, it is. Okay, so Thursday, September eighth, uh, I'll be there and I'll be speaking on truth is not ice cream, faith is not wishing, and then I'll be speaking on faithfulness is not theologically complicated, and this is an exhortation to Christians to stand firm to biblical truth in four, or make that five different areas, and they're all controversial areas. There's sex, there's gender, there's abortion, there's Jesus the only way, um, and so we're, I'll be talking about that. So it could, might be interesting in the Q&A afterwards if I get any pushback. Uh, however, so that's going to be on uh, September 8th, a Thursday, at uh, Baylor University. Never spoken there yet. So looking forward to that. And uh, Alan, also uh, September, on September 30th, Friday, and then Sunday. Oh, Friday, th- September 30th through Sunday, October 2nd, to be speaking um, at, uh, at Calvary Chapel in Centralia, Washington. So those of you who are up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, take advantage of that. Um, and he'll be speaking... Um, uh, at their Equipping the Saints a conference. All of this information, by the way, is at uh, str.org, and uh, let's see, forward slash events, and you can see what all of us are doing over the next couple of months. Big thing coming up, though, we launch the 2022-23 season of reality uh, in Orange County, September 23rd and 24th at Calvary Chapel, because we've been meeting there for the last 10 years about, and uh we are dealing with a real important issue. We've got a great lineup of speakers. We always do that. We always have fabulous people speaking for us, so you can count on that. What we're doing this year is we're dealing with the issue of deconstruction and deconversion. A lot of that going on. There's whole organizations. People leave Christianity and then get evangelistic about it, and then um, you know are raising a bunch of issues that need to be answered, and they're challenging other Christians, and that's what we're going to address for our Friday night, all-day Saturday events in reality. And we have them uh, in Southern California. I mentioned the date already for that, September 23rd and 24th. We'll be in Seattle October 14th and 15th. We'll be in Minneapolis November 11th and 12th. We'll be in Dallas in 23, February 24th and 25th, in Philly March 24th and 25th, and Augusta April 21st and 22nd. We got six of these around the country. We're boxing the compass, trying to make them available to everybody in major population areas, and some of you are going to have to travel a little bit. It's okay. We have lots and lots of people doing it, but it's going to help you. Remember, these are geared for junior high, I guess we call it middle school out here, and high schoolers. Uh, we don't check IDs, so it doesn't matter. You can be an old person. We'll take you. I'm, I'm going to be there. They're taking me. So, uh, but But we're we don't dumb anything down either. We give the straight, straight scoop, but we make it fun. And I'm not in charge of fun. Fun people are in charge of the fun. Not me. But uh, those of you who have gone in the past, you know 
how great this is. Incidentally, the last time that we have an unrestricted event in Southern California for reality was 2019. 2020 got canceled. 2021, we had a restriction, 1,000 in the main auditorium, 1,000 in the gym, and that created a lot of problems for people, and we apologize for that. That was a hassle. Standing in line to get in, first come, first serve for the first 1,000, then we shuffle you off to somewhere else. We're not doing that this year. The state is not requiring anything from us. So our apologies for last year, And um, but last time we did this without restriction, we had 2,600 students. Um, we almost filled everything up. There's 2,000 in the main auditorium, 1,000 in the gym, 3,000 the limit, and we're expecting to fill it up this time. So uh, you might want to sign up, and the way to do that is to go to realityapologetics.com, realityapologetics.com. The info for all the events are there, and you can do the sign-up um, while you're at it, which for whatever event that you have in mind. All right. So that covers the announcements for uh, for this particular show or segment. Let's see. I think we'll go to Charity's call um, about the LGBTQ views and her children. Let's hear from Charity. Hello. My name is Charity. I have three girls, ages 11, 10, and 9. They have always homeschooled, and we monitor screen time to the best of our ability. They currently know nothing about the LGBTQ community, transgender, or same-sex marriage. But with the culture ever-changing, it's increasingly difficult to keep them innocent to it all. We very much have rooted them in biblical truths when it comes to our identity, marriage, and what love is. So, my question is, do you think we should share these things with them before they see or hear something on their own, or should we wait until they come to us with questions? And do you have any suggestions on how to start this conversation? I understand you don't know our children and their maturity level, but my husband and I recognize that this is only a matter of time before we have to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. We greatly appreciate any help. Thank you. Well, Charity, um, I think it's great. Everything you've said so far, I I envy you because I think your husband and you are doing, making all the right steps. All right. Now, some people will think, oh, this is so protective, overprotective. So let me offer a little uh, anecdote um, that uh, I've mentioned before in the air, but I got it from Corey Tenboom, and most people know Corey, uh, who she is. She's gone now, but she was a, 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 a Christian, a member of a Christian family in, in Holland who rescued and protected and hid Jews, and ended up being caught and going to a concentration camp herself. But she read, wrote about it in a book titled "The Hiding Place." And there's a there's a an episode in when she was a girl that she describes going with her father on a train, and she's read, she's going to another city, and she's just the two of them. She's youngish, and her father uh, she's reading in her Bible, and she reads a, a, something that says "sex sin." sex, sin. And she's not familiar with this concept, so she asked her father uh, if he would explain that to her. And her father said, "Um, see that case up there, our piece of luggage up on the rack? Would you pull it down and and hand it to me, please? Corey? And Corey says, Papa, I can't pull that down. It's too heavy for me. And then he says, yes, you're right, honey, and this concept is too heavy for you, too. 
and your papa is going to hold it until you're ready f- to carry it yourself. Now, that anecdote does not help decide when young people today, our children, are ready to carry that. It It is a piece of wisdom, though, that I share because the sentiment in the culture generally is that kids don't need to be protected from any of this anytime. And, um, and, and, and what is happening is their innocence is being corrupted because they are being exposed to things they do not have the emotional capability to manage well. And, uh, and I think it, it ends up corrupting their souls. Now, your girls are 9, 10, and 11. Boy, that's a tight shot group. <laughs> You're quite a mom, uh, Charity. But good for you. And they're all girls. Um, I think that I have two girls, too, and I, those, our girls are not ta- comfortable talking with me at all about anything like this. It's in very general terms, okay? And, uh, and so there has been some discussion. It's hard to avoid that in our family in light of what I do for a living, so it's going to come out. Um, but I, 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 th- I think what you have done is a better job than what I've done as a dad, as you've described the things that, uh, the way you've approached this with your girls. You homeschooled them. You've given them a good, solid biblical foundation that uh, I, I suspect they are completely sympathetic towards and buying into. You've talked to them about love. I don't know how much about the the sexual specifics. Um, and it might be in your case that when you do that, that this is something that you, maybe a charity you talk to them about rather than dad. I don't know their comfort levels. It might be that they'll be fine with that. I don't know. But my girls weren't. So uh, just just saying, the um, I do think it's better that you prepare them in advance and the concept that we have at Stand to Reason is that you don't isolate, but you inoculate. You don't isolate, but you inoculate. And now we're talking there generally about cultural, worldly ideas that they're going to encounter as a challenge to Christianity. When it comes to sexual things, well, there is, in a sense, of an appropriate isolation uh, until they reach a maturity level where they can manage these concepts. And, uh, and I think this is what you've been doing, is protecting your girls. But the critical point here is the inoculation part, that in a controlled setting, they are getting the information where you can explain things to them, and so they see the aberrations in light of a Christian worldview. Now, I do know there's some literature out, uh, written by a friend of mine, Tom Gelson, that uh, is called Critical Conversations. Critical Conversations. And what he's done is he's written material to help parents have the critical conversations they need to have with their children about sexuality in a culture that is has a very twisted understanding of that. Okay? I have not read the book. I, I think I probably own it. <laughs> but like a lot of books I own, I haven't read it. And uh, But I like Tom's writing, and I like what he does, and he's got good creds in terms of ministry. So uh, I, I feel like I can safely 
recommended sight unseen for you at least to get and read through and see if this is something, his guidance for conversations with your children is something that you can glean some wisdom from. So I would get Tom Gilson's Critical Conversations. I think at 9, 10, and 11, uh, especially the elder of the girls is starting to move into a situation where physically she's beginning to respond um, to changes, hormonal changes that have to do with her sexual development. And so you're getting close to the time when this could be done. And it might be good to do it as a group. Uh, rather than individually, I, I think this is a hard, a harder bridge to cross, and sometimes doing it all at once with your kids is better than one at a time. Okay, then everybody's informed, and the nine-year-old may be up to speed on this. You're going to have to judge that, but they seem to be, like I said, a tight shot group. So maybe this will work. Um, I know that when I was in junior high, my dad had a discussion with me and with my brother two years my junior and my brother four years my junior. So we all had it at once, and we were junior high age. So what was that, 14, 12, 10? You know, it's almost the same kind of age breakdown that you're facing with your own girls. So um, this is a time to start easing them in to this, and I think the nature of the discussion is would be this— that you have, have already begun to lay a foundation about a biblical worldview. And the way I would characterize it now is that God made human beings a certain way for their good, for the, the, the human flourishing is the word that I use. God set up marriage and sex and sexual behaviors in a certain way, and he made male and female, okay? Now, with that in place, that this is done by God for their good, and what God wants is for sexual behavior, intimate behavior, to be restricted for marriage, and they they got a general understanding of that, maybe some more biological detail, and that's up to you. The next step would be to say, the rest of the world does not agree with this. In fact, they disagree with almost everything because they're not following God's way. And when you don't follow God's way, things don't go well for you. You go outside of God's boundaries, and things get broken. So again, the the way of communicating this is not, them's the rules, but rather God made a good world to function in a good way, and therefore certain behaviors are consistent with the good way that God made the world— especially in the area of sexuality and marriage, gender. The world doesn't obey that. They are going a different direction. And that's unfortunate. That's sad. Because it's going to cost them in the long run. It's going to be not good for their own lives. So apart from the sin aspect, <laughs> there is this, there's just this pragmatic element you do good, and good comes. You do bad, and bad comes. There are consequences to these behaviors in people's lives. So you want to communicate in a fairly general sense something like that, and then that gives you a foundation. You say, well, where are the ways they disagree? Well, in our culture, there are girls who think they're boys, and there are boys who think they're girls, and they're confused. That's the word I would use, because they are confused. There are also men who, 
who are attracted in a romantic way, this might be the way you use the language, as opposed to sexual, unless you think the word sexual is clearly understood, but a romantic way, not just buddies and close and love the way David and Jonathan loved each other, but a different, the kind of way that mom and dad love each other. That's the kind of way that men are in a relationship with each other in the world, and also women. So you can help them to see that the confusion, the nature of the confusion. And then that's the foundation that you can build on in the future. Um, I would not wait until they come to you with questions, because they may not come to you with questions. My daughters have never come to me with questions. And uh, and all kinds of stuff, they, you know, they, they're exposed to. It's just hard to... It just... It's very difficult to manage the culture, and I'm, I'm impressed that you, uh, Charity, and your husband have been able to manage your home life in a way that's appropriately protective of your children in this regard. Um, you want to inoculate them to the bad ideas and also eventually to the bad, the, 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 the bad ideas in general, but in the culture, but also as they touch the sexuality, gender kind of concerns. Make it, have, make it very clear, here is God's system. It's right there in the first couple chapters of Genesis. And it's made for our good. And here's the way the world is going against that, and that doesn't work out well for them. And then build from there. So that would be my my recommendation, um, Charity. I hope that's helpful. I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that the two of you, your husband and you, are working together on this. And the way you characterized it is you already you have— you you have your girls' confidence; they're homeschooled, and um, and they're they're open to listening to you. Now, as time goes on, that's going to get harder. And maybe here's a opportunity to toss something else in. Um, I I I I was pretty much uh, mentally prepared for the idea. Mentally, maybe that's not right. The way I was home. Oh, Theoretically, I was prepared for the idea that my daughters might challenge the convictions that we raise them with. And, uh, you know, and I've talked to people, you know, like Sean McDowell. He's on the air. And his dad's Josh McDowell. But there was a time when Sean told his dad, I don't know if I believe what you believe. And his dad said, that's okay. That means you care about what's truth. What's true, and and uh, you know, you go for it. If you care about what's true, you're going to find out what's true, and that's going to be Christianity. So, and that's what happened. And now Sean is a very, very gifted and effective apologist. All right, public speaker, writer, etc. So I knew that story. I talked to Sean. I talked to Josh about all of this stuff. But when it happened to me, I did not respond so well. So I'm just saying, every parent has to, of Christians, virtually every parent is going to have to confront this, because every student, every child who is raised in a Christian home has to, at some point, make their, the convictions they were raised with, their own. It's not enough that mom and dad say it's true. Now they're going to have to ask themselves whether they really believe it's true. I remember when I was raised in a very—I uh, was raised Roman Catholic, 
And when I was 17, someone challenged me and asked me, do you really think that's true? That's what she said. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I thought to myself, I guess I don't think that's true. I had been parroting what I had learned, but I I really didn't have a deep conviction about it. And when, when, when I realized that, that's when I totally left that behind and began to embrace the world. Okay. Every person comes to that point. I had, uh, I had no good reasons to believe what I had been raised with. In fact, everybody, as kids grew up, everybody left, even my parents. Um, that was when we decided as adults what we believed. And later, let's see, six years later uh, or so, that's when I became a follower of Jesus. And that choice was my own. It doesn't always have to happen that way, but charity with your girls, this will likely happen. Don't freak out. Especially, Dad, don't freak out. Don't get mad. Don't yell. Don't shame. Those are all the things I did, and I knew better. So uh, just be prepared. The time will come, and it's scary when it happens. It's scary. But just keep your cool. You're laying a good foundation now. You're explaining things to them. They're understanding, hopefully. And when you explain these issues about sexuality to them, and uh, explain that these are all good things. God's boundaries are good. They are for our long-term protection. And one last thing I should mention, I just thought of it. A general thing to, to be teaching your kids as they're growing up is to, is to learn to put off the short-term satisfaction for the longer-term good, okay? And there's lots of little ways you could do that. Um, it usually amounts to saying no to a bunch of stuff they want right now. Just say no. It's the most important word in the English language for parents. Uh, kids get too much. They get too much liberty. They get too much privileges. They get too much uh, almost everything. People say all oh, kids grow up fast nowadays. No, kids don't grow up fast. Many of them don't grow up at all. What happens is they get adult liberties without taking on adult, adult responsibilities. And when you get adult liberties, latitudes, privileges, without the corresponding responsibility that you fulfill to provide a stable foundation, then you get corrupted. The kids get corrupted. That's what's happening. They're not growing up. They're getting corrupted by liberties they can't handle properly. And uh, telling your kids no and delaying gratification, I want my thing now. I want my iPhone now. I want my whatever it is. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start doing chores, and we're going to pay you for chores. And if you do these chores over the next couple of months, you will be able to save up enough money to get the iPhone or whatever. And then you can get it. So you don't get it now, you get it later. And by waiting for it and earning it, you're going to appreciate it more. This is very, very basic stuff. But that's, that's a way you can teach them 
to say no to something in the moment that may not be the best so that later on they can put off the gratification to get to get the best that's going to apply to sexual things as well as they grow up okay let's see um let's see who's next here let's talk with uh let's hear from Jeff and he has some uh we'll just skip the break here is that right now let's take a break and then go let's can we do that? Yeah, let's take a break, and then we'll go to Jeff's call, and uh, it has to do with consciousness and an argument for God. Break now. Call next. Coming up. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Allen, Tim, and our newest apologist, John Noyes, are available, both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule them today. Our speakers can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics, gender issues and science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read their bios and learn more about the topics they cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, or John today. As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And Red Pen Logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, Red Pen Logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking, and we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic, and subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. All right, final segment here, and uh, we are taking open mic calls. If you're interested in um, using this feature that's recently been developed, and my team put it together, it wasn't my idea, and I'm really thrilled. It's great. Uh, You can go to the broadcast page at str.org and follow the prompts there, just push the button, um, and start recording. Very easy to do. Or you could do a dial-up. That is, you can call in to leave your question, and the cell, the, the call-in number for open mic callers is 857-DIAL-STR. Simple, 857-DIAL-STR, or by the numbers 857-342-5787. Seven. Will that also be on the broadcast page, Amy? That information? Yeah, it's all there. So that's the easiest way to get the information. 
and <laughs> and you can still call in like normal by, uh, uh, like normal on Tuesdays uh, when I'm in studio, which is most of the time, but not today. Okay, let's go to um, Jeff Francois, and Jeff has a question about uh, an argument for God based on consciousness. Hi, all. I want to ask you to evaluate a line of questioning I shared with an atheist as an indirect uh, evidence for God's existence. I appreciate your feedback. Consciousness, our ability to recognize ourselves, our thoughts, etc. Is it material or immaterial? If it's material, how do we avoid the conclusion of determinism? If it's immaterial, how does an immaterial effect come from a material cause? This questioning stumped my atheist interlocutor, but maybe he wasn't very sophisticated. <laughs> what do you think of my line of questioning? Thank you very much, and you'll have a great day. Well, Jeff, I'm impressed that you are exploring this uh, idea of consciousness as it relates to the question of God, God's existence. Um, I think that starting with the nature of consciousness is a good place to start, because it is absolutely clear to every, almost, well, everybody, even the atheists who reflect on this, and I'm thinking of Daniel Dennett right now, one of the so-called new atheists, that consciousness cannot be reduced to something material. Uh, there's also a, um, a wonderful shorter book by a philosopher, uh, Thomas Nagel, N-A-G-E-L, <clears throat> New York University, an atheist, uh, that called, is called, titled Mind and Cosmos, and he is looking at the difficulties of trying to make sense of consciousness in a materialistic world, all right? So, actually, these two atheists, Daniel Dennett and Thomas Nagel, go in two different directions. They both see the problem of consciousness for materialists. Um, what, what Nagel says is we've got to figure out a way of understanding a materialistic universe that has an immaterial essence called con or, or something called consciousness. What Denton, Daniel Dennett does is he just says, well, consciousness must be an illusion then, because we can't reduce it to something material. So this is a huge problem for these guys, and I think this is a, presents an opportunity for us. So, Jeff, I think you're off on the right foot here, all right? But notice that your argument for consciousness, what you're trying to do is make a, an evidence for God's existence. And I I'm not convinced that that step works, okay? Um, your question, first question, what is consciousness? If it's material, then how do we de avoid determinism, okay? So, but it's clear that consciousness is not material, because consciousness does not have the qualities that material objects have. They don't respond to chemistry, and they're not governed by the laws of chemistry and physics. They don't extend in space. They don't have mass, those kinds of things. So it's clearly not physical. And by the way, both of these atheists acknowledge that. Dennett says if it's not physical, it doesn't exist, so it must be an illusion. And that's kind of a silly way to go, 
because I can ask the question, what's an illusion? And an illusion is when your consciousness is a being appeared too falsely. So you've got to have a consciousness to have an illusion. So how could consciousness be the illusion? What is having the illusion of consciousness? That's that's the problem. Okay. But what I think that the the fact that consciousness is not physical uh, i think what that does for us is it demonstrates that materialism is false there are things that exist that are real and in fact we are in touch with intimately every single day every human being is and that's our own self awareness our awareness of ourself and all the experiences that are attached to that awareness all the thoughts all the sensations all the beliefs all the acts of will you know all the intentions there's five of them right there these are all features of consciousness mind if you will that are not features of something physical physical objects don't have these features there are more features like that more distinctions so what this shows is that physicalism materialism if you will is a false understanding of reality now what this does is is it opens the door to considering what kinds of things populate the immaterial universe one of them is consciousness now what else those features of consciousness i mentioned thoughts propositions acts of will intentions these are all separate things that are also pieces if you will parts of the immaterial realm so what else this opens up the possibility of the existence of god now i don't think that your next step gets you there if it's immaterial how does an immaterial effect come from a material cause this is an argument that materialists use against the existence of the soul because the question is how how do these two interact and in their minds they think if they can't figure out how they interact and how some material substance can produce an immaterial substance or how an immaterial substance can influence a material substance then they think there are two substances they feel they are at liberty to deny that there are actually two substances in play here when there's obviously obviously it seems to me two two substances that's common experience and common sense all right so i don't i don't think that you're going to i i think asking about the origins of things are 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 legitimate and i do think it makes sense that an immaterial self produces other immaterial selves especially if they're made in the image of god they are like himself in some way now i think that animals have souls as well it's a different issue but it isn't just that we have a soul that that makes us special it's the kind of soul that we have but let's just say there is a strong continuity between a christian theistic world view and the existence of the soul which is manifest in our conscious experiences so i i i think you're on the right track there and what we're doing is we're trying to look for not so much a proof in this step but uh for god but rather a, a uh an inference to the best explanation that is what 
way of understanding the world seems to make sense of this world we encounter, this dualistic world, this world in which there are physical things and non-physical things, material and immaterial. And one of those immaterial things being our conscious awareness, which is the, the, the in a certain sense, the a feature of our soul, our invisible selves, okay? So our invisible selves are aware of our invisible selves and aware of our physical selves. Okay, what worldview do we have at our disposal that makes sense of those facts? And materialism doesn't make any sense of that. It contradicts materialism. And if you're going to cling to your materialism like Dennett does, then you have to say something foolish like, this big feature of our lives, consciousness, is just a big illusion. And it also doesn't make any sense because, as I mentioned, which what's having the illusion. So, good for you, Jeff. You're on a right track. Um, I don't think the whole line of thinking goes through the way you think it does, but I do think it's useful and helpful, okay, for the reasons I offered. And there we go. That's our uh, music friends, Greg Kokel here, the end of our show. Give them heaven, okay, friends? Bye-bye now.